When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Is Ice Cube still true to the game? I think hip hop will always be a void for the people. Yo. Reggie Williams, what's going on, man? What's going on, man? Doing well. How are you? I'm good. How about you? Oh, man, I can't complain. I like the uh, like the new backdrop. Yeah, why are you all in my business, man? <laughs> uh, speaking of backdrop it looks like you got betty boop and somebody else fighting back there what's going on <laughs> all right all right it's early um <laughs> no shots fired straight up and down, man. <laughs> i'm gonna remember it um no nah, that's a that's a that's a vintage philly uh public transportation warning and it looks like a girl's pushing another girl onto a track which i just love oh wow it was a gift so i'm gonna have it framed yeah straight to house of cards yes there you go yeah uh well yo i'm reggie williams founder and ceo of ambrosia for heads and with me i have jake Payne, our editor-in-chief man you know it's always good uh last week was kind of lively in an unexpected way yeah yeah, I think uh, this week will be no exception, too. There's a lot. I mean, we're at that, you know, fourth quarter. Things get exciting. Yeah, so um, let's kick it off, man, with what started the week. Uh, Ice Cube, who I will say is, you know, I got my, my favorite MCs, right? Like, um, and unlike, you know, I don't replace them, but like, you know, I had favorite MCs with certain eras. And so first was Melly Mel, then I went to, LL and uh, Cube was my third favorite MC, you know. Um, like what era? Like NWA era or solo era? No, no, solo era. You know, I loved, I, I liked him in NWA and America's Most Wanted was cool. But what really kicked it off for me was Death Certificate. When Death Certificate came out, actually it was Halloween, I believe, of uh, mm. 1980, 1990 maybe? Uh, I think 91. 91, if I'm not- 91. Yeah, 91. And um you know that album changed everything for me um one of my favorite songs on the album well bird in the hand was one you know for sure one of my favorite songs was true to the game you know outstanding sample from gap band and it's all about cube talking about like no matter what he wasn't going to change he wasn't gonna like you know desert his people um you know and he's really talking about people who like you know get too big for their own culture um you know, so he talks about like, um, you know, getting a white woman on your elbow and like moving out of the neighborhood and, you know, things like that. And, you know, it was really kind of an anthem, like an empowerment anthem for kids in my generation at the time. You know, and Ice Cube and I are peers, I think we're you know, maybe a year apart or so. So it was with um, kind of pretty wild. Um, you know, great consternation that for a lot of folks that Ice Cube, uh, there was a tweet that was sent out um, that suggested that Ice Cube might be uh, supporting Donald Trump. Now, um, you know, I'm very, very dubious of anything, um, you know, from the news right now, and especially uh, something that is uh, from Twitter. Yeah. But this was from Trump's senior advisor, Katrina Pearson, the tweet said, um, uh, shout out to, let's see, shout out to Ice Cube. Um, and it, it said, for his willingness to step up and work with President Trump. And said, uh, you know, working with, the, with his administration, it said, leaders going to lead, haters going to hate. Thank you for leading. With a fist. Uh, and the fist <laughs> looks brown. Like, I mean, almost like, so first of all, leaders going to lead, haters going to hate coming from a representative of the Trump administration, right, right off the bat, that's suspect, right? Like, I mean, why are you going to talk in a colloquial way that is designed to appeal to 
black people or you know people in hip hop when clearly they're not really affiliated or down with the culture. That's cool, yeah, right. Two, um, the whole thing seemed like a setup. You know, um, you know, I, I doubt that Q, um, even if he was working with them, and we'll get into that in a second, expected them to put him on blast like that. You know, I'm sure he knows. He's a savvy dude. He, he knows that any kind of work or affiliation is going to be used to their advantage. Um, but I'm sure he didn't expect a tweet like that. And so it comes out that, um, you know, Cube, who's got his contract with Black America plan, um, put out, uh, you know, inquiries both to the Biden campaign and to, to Trump to see how they might be able to work together to, you know, put forth his agenda advancing uh, causes for Black people. And apparently Biden said, yeah, yeah, sure, sure. We'll get back to you, you know, after the election. After the election. Yeah. After the election, right? Um, and Trump said, yeah, let's get to work. Let's roll up our sleeves. Like, let's see what we can get done. Now, um, the thing about it is we all know that politicians lie and make false promises, all of them. You know, and everyone focuses so much on how much Donald Trump lies, but all politicians lie. He just does it like it in it. Unapologetic way. Exaggerated basis, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. and unapologetic for sure and explicit and like, you know, from second to second. But all of them uh, make promises that they can't keep. So whether or not, you know, Trump would actually keep his promises is a different story, but Ice Cube went in and apparently for the last couple of months has been talking to them. And uh, Trump has rolled out recently what he calls his platinum plan, which addresses the concerns of uh, African-Americans and Supposedly, uh, part of his platinum plan uh, actually borrows things from Ice Cube's contract with Black America. So, um, you know, it comes out the Cube has been working with Donald Trump, and much like what happened with Van Jones when he, you know, reached across the the, the aisle and worked with Donald Trump on uh, criminal justice reform, and actually got you know a bill passed. It was one of the most, you know, New York Times called it one of the most uh, historic bills for uh, black people in a generation um you know he got a lot of criticism um you know so i want to unpack this uh in a on a lot of levels so this is going to be an extended conversation and you know um you know i'm not sure where you fall on this but first of all where do you fall on this yeah i mean i i agree with everything that you said um i'm sure there's a lot of uh smoke and mirrors here according to politico you know ice cube had met in person um extensively you know with jared kushner i mean it was more than just like a handshake and a photo op um you know which is one of you know trump's family members and advisors to get this off um yeah i mean that tweet doesn't look good i even think the name platinum plan is a little bit pandering i would imagine um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. um you know and i watched the video that cube had put out i think before kind of the damage control of this which is really um you know he wanted to put him am i correct in 500 billion dollars is that the number something like that yeah yeah into of capital into the black community and cube said look there's been bailouts you know historically there's even been bailouts not they weren't using that language back then but there have been tax breaks and rewards for being white you know we've seen what happened in the auto industry we've seen what's happened you know with ppa loans and things like that like i want to make sure these funds go directly to black folks um so yeah i mean at face value right there i look at it and i say you know what i i i don't fault cube for trying to make things happen yes um in the eyes of many he's dancing with the devil um but at that point right there i see no reason to cancel ice cube or anything like that that's me well okay um there's been a very like you know people become very black and white in their approach to looking at things like this you know either you you um you have to hate trump or else um you're a hundred percent down with Trump, right? Yeah. Um, there's no nuance. There's no gray area. But the fact is that the dude is the president of the United States right now, and you know, uh, and if he were to be reelected, which you know is still a very huge question, we won't know in two weeks. We probably won't know for six weeks. Right. Um, he's going to be in power for another four years, and you know, we can either choose to just let that four years be a wash and get nothing. Or we can choose to try and get something from the dude, you know. Um, 
and he's shown, you know, with uh, the work he's done with Kim Kardashian, the work he did with Van Jones, that he is willing to do some things, right? And he's willing to do it, especially not to interrupt you, but the way to Trump's heart is fame. Um, right. You know, I mean, this is a reality TV star turned, you know, president. Um, and, and, you know, in recent weeks, you know, with the New York Times reports of his, you know, $700, um, you know, tax, uh, you know, what he paid, they said that most of Trump's money over the last 15 years has come from reality TV and then using that to license his name to various things. So Cube might be able to go in there in a way that others can't just simply based on his profile. And, you know, let's be real. I mean, Trump and I think that's why we get the tw the the tweet from the woman you mentioned is like they are looking if if any person of color is going to come in and and shake Trump's hand or or or, or strike a deal, they're going to take that and run with it to the nth degree. And that wasn't from Cube; that was from, you know, inside the Oval Office and you know his advisors. Yeah, so you know you hear a lot of criticism of Cube, you know, but you know one of my questions was why did not why did the Biden campaign not meet with him? You know, um, what do you think the rationale? I don't understand what the rationale was of that. He's, a, he's definitely a dude who's got a lot of influence. Yeah. You know, um, successful artist, successful filmmaker, entrepreneur. I thought know. about that. You know, it's funny, and and I think that Joe Biden and his campaign right now are really walking on eggshells. I think the biggest liability to Joe Biden is himself, and I say that, you know, as a as a registered Democrat and as somebody who in in this election, you know, endorses. Um, you know, Biden and Harris. But I feel like that's a reason why, apart from, you know, last week's town hall meeting, you don't see ever, ever since, you know, Biden made that comment to Charlemagne, they've turned the fader on him a lot because he can say the wrong thing. And I also thought about it too. I mean, I, I think back in the last decade or last 12, 13 years, think about it when, you know, Ludacris and Common had made connections to the White House or even Jay-Z. Bill O'Reilly and Fox News had a field day. Like, and we as hip hop heads can laugh and say, really, you guys had a problem with Common? And now, you know, you have Ice Cube and whether you want to go back to lyrics, you know, or you even want to go back to controversies that, you know, Cube has been in this year regarding potentially anti-Semitic tweets and things like that. I don't, I think the Biden campaign owed Ice Cube a far better answer than hurry up and wait. But I feel like they feared that this would be run with in a whole different way than it's being run with now that Cube got his conversation with Jared Kushner. Yeah, you know, so another thing, another criticism that came out is that uh, President Trump seems to give um, time and platforms to uh, artists, particularly in the hip hop community, but doesn't give the same kind of time and ear to uh, black businessmen, uh, black politicians, black activists. Uh, so, so what do you think about that? You know, first of all, um, I, I guess I'll step back and say, okay, uh, you know, hip hop in a lot of ways drives uh, black business, black entrepreneurship. It is uh, definitely a, an activist platform. And so while it might not be like a DeRay McKesson or, you know, um, a traditional kind of activist type stance, there are a lot of hip hop artists who've been very outspoken and who've really uh, kind of pushed narratives. Killer Mike is obviously one. Um, Megan Thee Stallion, who we'll talk about, uh, you know, has stepped into that 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 for that forum. Um, Cardi B has done so. Kendrick, you know, goes on and on. Um, so, is it even a valid criticism to question why he would meet with hip hop artists? Hugely. I mean, and and that's a frustration. Um, you know, if you let fame always cut in the front of the line for the photo op or for the optics of it, that's a poor leader. And, you know, even down to, and Cube talked about this himself, like the PPA loans that were offered to businesses, you know, third party um, investigations revealed how biased those were, you know, lots of businesses of color, not just black owned businesses were getting passed over. Well, you know, Ruth's Chris and, and other major conglomerates that were never designed to receive this money got to the front of the line. Um, now you can argue as Cube, you know, leveraging his fame to make it happen for other people that remains to be seen and i've yet to read a report of this platinum plan how much of it they took from you know the contract with black america that cube initially drafted i'll be very curious to see what specific things came out of it because if it's if it's just fine print and they're just using this 
you know, that's a damn shame. And if that's the case, then Cube should come out and, and, and you know, call it what it is. Yeah, you know, I've never been an or person. I'm always and, you know, and I think that the question isn't should it be hip hop artists or activists, entrepreneurs, politicians, it can be and. Yeah. Um, and so um, I certainly don't fault Cube and other artists who leverage that platform to get access. Uh, but obviously, I do think the president should afford the same kind of time and energy to other people as well. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And, and you know, sure, you know, Jay-Z had the lyric of Obama on the text. And I mean, we remember in the final days of the Obama presidency, you know, him having that, I forget what the initiative was called, but when you had Rhapsody and J. Cole and DJ Khaled and Rick Ross and Pusha T and all of these folks going Brother, to the White House. Keeper. Yes, thank yes. you. Um, you know, I mean, I truly believe that in a post-2000 world, in a post-George W. Bush world, you are not going to see a president that is not working with the hip hop community because there's just far too much at stake. And even, you know, the pre-roll ads I'm getting on my phone, um, you know, to, to vote or to vote for either candidate are so, you know, pandering and, and aimed at the hip hop generation. Yeah. I mean, celebrity endorsement is like a, you know, a tried and true thing that all politicians use, you know, or used to have for several decades. You remember Bill Clinton going on Arsenio and playing saxophone and, with the shades yeah. on. Yeah, I know, exactly right. Like nowadays that would be criticized as like, you know, him, you know, being pandering. Um, yeah. And he was, you know, so, um, yeah, so, okay. So Cube does that. Um, can Ice Cube, st- is Ice Cube still true to the game? That's well, I mean, the question. let me ask you though, because I mean, you're asking me and, and, you know, quite obviously I'm, you know, I'm not a person of color. I hold Ice Cube in the highest regard, but as somebody who considered him, your, you know, your, your, your voice or your, your goat for a time in, in your hip hop journey, what does this mean to you, Reggie? You know, I think back to another Cube line. Um, Never have dinner with the president. <laughs> you know, uh, no, another one. Um, here I am drinking straight out the eight bottle. Do I look like a MF and role model to all kids looking up to me? Life ain't nothing but, you know, Cube has never ever allowed himself to be put in one box. Mm-hmm. You know, um, you know he is. You know, he has always been someone who is looking to advance his cause, whatever it might be. I have no doubt that his cause is black people. Like he is truly trying to make things better for black people. You look at his, uh, his music has been activists like that. You look at the films that he made, um, it's usually black directors. He made a lot of um, black comics careers from Chris Tucker to Mike Epps to, you know, you know, whoever it might be. Um, You know, a lot of his management, you know, Pat Charbonnet was a black woman, although Jeff Quatnitz is, and that's how he actually got to Jared, um, Jared Kushner is white. He's done business with a lot of black folks and helped people, uh, you know, you know, F Gary Gray with Friday. Like his agenda has always been in my mind, advancing the cause for black people. Um, and so if he can do so, you know, if, if you can get something good out of something that's uh, otherwise in a bad scenario, then uh, I definitely would opt for that. Um, and if it puts pressure on Democrats to, to be more honest and not take for granted, like our vote and be pandering, then yeah, a hundred percent, you know, I try and look at it a bit, a bit more nuanced, you know, I, I don't, I don't see it. Like I said, it's either, or I, I think he's still true to the game for sure. Yeah. And I mean, I think you and I are saying the same thing and, um, you know, it was interesting. You showed me, um, Ebro Darden's take and, you know, Ebro had made the point if I, if I'm paraphrasing correctly that, you know, he was frustrated with Cuba, disappointed, I should say, because this steps in front of a lot of ground, a grassroots activists that, you know, are treating this president, um, or holding him accountable for the lives and the disparities that he stood behind, you know, and, and out, outright hate, you know, which we saw with Charlottesville and, you know, more recently when he was taken to task during the debate, do you see any merit there to that point? You know, it's kind of the point we we're making earlier. And, uh, you know, I don't think it's right for the president to only give platforms to famous people. And it's not just color. Like he did the same for Kim Kardashian and other people. Like, um, um, 
but that's how he is and we we know that um, yeah. does that mean that we should not take opportunities where we can get them you know yeah. and um it would be great you know my preference would be for ice cube to um and others to kind of leverage their access and either help to you know work with the activists that are uh, grassroots and get you know bullet points from their agenda and present them as part of their platform and i suspect that cube did so with his contract with black america i highly doubt that he just came up with stuff on his own i'm sure he had a team of people um that were you know had their ear to the streets and, and knew what was going on uh, but then secondly if they could actually you know bring people with them you know uh, yeah you know it's no different than like you know putting uh up and coming artists on an album like you know bring someone with you give them a feature spot give them a guest first let them get access to you know um that i think would be cool who yeah. knows who knows what he, what he's tried to do yeah yeah and and i'll just say this too is is you know in a in a three minute twitter video i saw more edu and more i saw a person who felt more informed to me in cube than a lot of what we've gotten from kanye and his standing behind this presidency absolutely like, you know and that's key is it's one thing to you know, try to make a deal. And, you know, it's just like breaking, you know, the lines on a strike. There's a lot of people that are like, damn, but, you know, Cubes, I guess, in his in his mind saying, well, we got to get to work, whether this guy wins or he doesn't, you know, we've got to put food on the table versus Kanye, who, you know, put on the hat, made, you know, really damning comments on TMZ and has yet to really come and 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 give substantial reason for why he feels the way he does. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So going back to that question about whether or not Cube is true to the game, um, should artists be held to statements they made 30 years ago? I think especially, I mean, we're seeing this, we're living in the 444 era, you know, we're watching artists evolve in real time. And, and when I say artists, the artists that have changed their lives, which Cube certainly falls under. Um, yeah. I mean, I think, I think you're allowed and, and hip hop is full of contradiction contradictions. I mean, you know, the artist that I've always held in the highest regard is Tupac. And come on, I mean, that guy is a walk, like that's keep your head up, but also, you know, convicted of, you know, crimes against women. Um, you know, you look at Dre on Straight Outta Compton, I don't smoke weed or cess. Boom, three and a half years later, The Chronic. Um, right. So artists evolve, they change. Talib Kweli went from Reflection Eternal to, you know, 13 years later doing swapping collabs with Nelly you would have never told me in a million years that would have happened. And I know these are artistic things versus much bigger decisions, but yes, to answer your question, I a hundred percent believe artists are allowed to evolve so long as they stand behind it and they can justify it. Cause I know I'm not the person I was 20 years ago. Yeah. You know, it almost, you know, it's very much like cancel culture, right? Like people pulling up tweets from 10 years ago, um, to use against a person. People evolve, people change. Um, even, you know, as you're alluding to with Tupac, like, uh, you know, people aren't the sum of one moment, you know, yeah. they're, 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 they're a collection of several moments. And so to judge people by one thing that they said, uh, you know, it's not like the constitution, you know, <laughs> it's not like something that yeah. they can't, they can't that, that you, you hold to the letter of the law. You know, these are living, breathing people with, 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 with thoughts that progress. Absolutely. And I think we all, you know, I love that Jay-Z and Pusha T put that Tommy Loren clip on, you know, Drug Dealers Anonymous because Homegirl sounded real stupid trying to tell Beyonce that her husband's a drug dealer. Like, right. you know what I mean? Um, so, yeah, we can't, we can't. And when I say ourselves, I mean the hip hop community, we shouldn't do that. I mean, we should hold our leaders accountable. We should hold our artists accountable. But I'm not canceling Ice Cube over this, um, you know. Uh, that's just me. And, and, you know, I'm curious to see what our listeners and viewers think, um, you know, in, in, in the C-section, so to speak. Yeah. You know, uh, let me ask you this. How much of people's reaction do you think is to the tweet and the headlines versus actually going in and seeing and reading and hearing the nuance? Yeah. I mean, I think that is just what is happening so much. Um, you know, right now is we are literally consuming life and death the life and death news and, and information in, you know, 140 characters or less. And yeah, I mean, when I read the Rolling Stone article on this, I 
wanted to know more. I felt like I wasn't getting enough. Politico had a really interesting breakdown. Um, and, and, you know, not for nothing. I mean, they're holding Cube accountable as well. But, um, yeah, I think that this is a little bit sensationalized at this point. Yeah, you know, Cube ended up going on a CNN show. Um, you know, it was the uh, Chris Cuomo show. And, you know, at first it was on, then, like, the, the news broke and the show was off. And then uh, Ice Cube called him out on, on Twitter. And then the show was back on miraculously. <laughs> And he went on, and uh, then afterwards, apparently Don Lemon attacked him, um, and so Cube was like, you know, uh, said it was some punk ass, you know, <laughs> stuff, and like said, you know, he'd definitely be down to see him, like, you know, mix it up man to man, you know, if he wanted to do it on Monday. So yeah. I, I have a feeling this is not the last we've heard of Cube, you know, but no. you know, I do, I do applaud him for not backing down and coming out with an apology and all, you know, all sorts of stuff. He stuck to his guns. He said, look, I'm trying to get some stuff done. This is what it is. Yeah. And I mean, if, if anyone wants to call Cuba sellout, you know, I, I'm fascinated by just, let's just talk hip hop. I mean, you mentioned um, death certificate, you know, I guess it was, it, it was supposed to be the 25th, but it came out a little bit later than that. Cube in the last three years has come out with very jarring videos and songs that confront police brutality. Um, even in this pandemic, controversial or not, Cube has made very charged up statements about what is going on. So, I mean, this isn't somebody that's, you know, softened their stance over time. And and I think kind of your, your, to your point, he doesn't have a whole lot to gain. I think he's really leveraging that fame and platform, hopefully for others that are smarter than him and smarter than you and I to go in there and do work, if that's what happens. And yeah. I don't... Cube has not said like, yo, I hope that this party wins the election or that this guy is here another four years. He's saying, I'm not here to hurry up and wait for, for Joe Biden. Yeah. So keeping it on politics, uh, Diddy also came out, you know, and Diddy has been involved for many years. You know, he had his, his vote campaign uh, back when he ran the marathon. Uh, and it's probably like 12 years or so ago, maybe, maybe uh, 16 at this point. Um, and, you know, a few years back, he, he basically said that, you know, black people should hold their vote um, hostage and, you know, and force people to come and get it, you know. Um, but now he's saying he's kind of amending that statement saying it's too important not to vote at this point, but we should like uh, still like hold people accountable and get something for our vote. So he wants to start a new political party. Um, it's called with the Black Political Party. It's very, you know, straightforward. The Black Political Party is what it's called. Um, I think, yeah. Uh, and he wants to um, work with activists and, you know, and, and local politicians and build this party up. Um, but what do you what do you think about what do you think about that? He's yeah, I mean, you know, I hope there's follow through. And I think Diddy definitely deserves credit or Puff deserves credit. I hate saying Diddy, even after all these years, um, yeah. deserves credit, um, you know, for getting eyeballs, um, you know, when he did the marathon. And I can't remember, like you said, if that was 2004, or 2008, um, you know, there definitely needs to be um, a conglomerate uh, that politicians need to get the endorsement of. And I don't know that that's what he's talking about. I think, you know, political party, everyone thinks, well, is this going to be an alternative to Democrats and Republicans and Green Party, whatever, Libertarians? But um, no matter what, there's power in numbers. And Diddy, you know, I mean, there's, that's a billionaire. So there's definitely power there that he can, he can use. And I think to um, stack up and hold these candidates accountable as a starting point and eventually move into its own party. I love it. I stand by it. I'll be curious to see where it's at in the next election. Yeah, the Black Party. Uh, that's what it's called. Yeah, you know, I agree. Like, I really do hope it's not an alternative party because I don't see that as getting any traction. I just yeah. see that as, like, uh, throwing votes away and, like, you know, helping um, those we don't want in office get in office. Um, but I, if he is really using it as a block, right, it's almost like a Black Party instead of a, a Black Party, Um where he gets a substantial portion of the black vote and we can wield that, uh, that becomes very, very powerful, you know, mm -hmm. and um, that's something that I, I think would be great to see. You know, keeping it on this, you mentioned Killer Mike earlier too, and, and you know, you know, Cube and Diddy are both, you know, making inroads towards outcomes. 
Killer Mike, you know, who I think in 2015, you know, we spent a lot of time on the site as AFH covering, you know, his movement, which he truly brought change. And you and Mike talked about this um, not that long ago of banking black. So now Mike has the opportunity. Um, he told the Breakfast Club he secured um, a Black-owned national bank. Um, it's it's very much virtual, but I don't know about you. I mean, I do. I'm very rarely, even before this pandemic, in a brick-and-mortar bank much anymore. Like so much of that is done virtually. But that's how about that? From taking a movement to now having a stake in in a bank. That's pretty dope. Yeah, I think it's amazing. Uh, you know, the only reason I used to go to banks until recently was just to deposit checks. But now that you can do that online too, like uh, I rarely go to a bank, you know, if I need to yeah. get a new bank card or something like that. Um, you know, I think it is Mike putting his money literally where his mouth is. You know, um, he called for us to take our money out of the racist capitalist system at the height of the Black Lives Matters movement in 2016, you know, when Philando Castillo and, and Alton Sterling had been killed within a few days of one another. You know, and you know, I'm very much about that. Like, you yeah. know, protests, the boycotts are great for raising awareness, but to drive true change, you actually got to be capitalistic and uh, use your money to affect change or withholding your money to do so. And so, you know, if we can uh, continue to capitalize black businesses that will give loans to black businesses or black banks that will give loans to black businesses and invest in the community and allow us to circulate our dollar more in the community, then that's phenomenal. And I think, um, in certain communities, um, Jewish community and others, dollar will circulate as many as 26 times before leaving that community. Whereas I think uh, Mike had a stat, it's like three times in the black community, like 90 minutes or something. Yeah, something less, less than a movie. Yeah, yeah, oh. yeah. It's, it's, so anything that can be done to keep wealth within is, is, is going to be, in my opinion, the thing that drives change the most in this society. You know, uh, people's goodwill, people's guilty consciences, those come and go. Yeah. Um, but, you know, learning to build wealth, creating your own wealth, uh, investing wealth in your own community is, is the real way to drive change in my opinion. Absolutely. And I always, I mean, I believe in that. I, um, you know, and, and Mike, you know, it's, it's funny too. I mean, 13 years ago, uh, you know, some of my friends who happen to be black were like, yo, don't bank nationally, like have a national bank, go with a big bank, but also have a small town bank, you know, somebody that you see face to face. And Mike was talking about that. And that's one of the things that he's done with his money, because when you go for a loan, they're going to know who you are. But I, I think that you can say unilaterally as an institution, you know, banks are, are, are prejudiced, you know, so to have a black owned bank that believes in, you know, its people is really important. And absolutely, I tell, you know, I, I, I task my um, white friends, like, make sure you're supporting black businesses, you know, and brown businesses, and be very mindful where your dollar goes. If you're buying something big, if you're going into a big box store, take a look at that CEO, um, you know, see where they're giving. Because I know for me, there's certain footwear I won't wear, there's certain, you know, hardware stores, national chains I don't go into, because I know. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, it's all part of a bigger, bigger discussion that, that we covered a lot on AFH. Yeah, going back to that point of and versus or, you know, I love the fact that Mike, in fact, that Mike was saying, you don't have to make this your only bank. Yeah. You know, if you don't feel comfortable investing all of your resources in it, you know, keep your, your, your more mainstream bank too, you know, but put some money into this bank. You know, yeah. it's called Greenwood. Yeah. Uh, named after, you know, the Tulsa, Oklahoma neighborhood, Black Wall Street, you know, everything about it is uh, uplifting, you know, so, you know, so going back to that point about like whether or not, you know, it's okay to talk to hip hop or, you know, why is it hip hop artists? It is a reality that hip hop artists have become activists and politicians. You know, we talked about Scarface last week and his health challenges, but yeah. he also was running for city councilman in Houston. Uh, you know, Bun B you know, was running, you know, for, for office. Uh, Killer Mike has run for office and, you know, there have been, you know, you know, requests for him to run for like, you know, governor. Or, like, and he was a key you know, part of Bernie Sanders' campaign. Key in both. part of Bernie Sanders' yeah. campaign, you know, um, you know, and speaks as intelligently about uh, policy as any politician I've ever seen, you know. So, um, you know, it's it's a it's a it's a blurred line. But the fact is, is that we have an entire generation of artists who are becoming, um, you know, 
in many ways our political activists. Yeah, and I think, you know, Mike's an interesting point just to bring it full circle to is, you know, Mike caught hell for that video he made with the NRA. Yeah. But I don't think Mike got canceled for that. I think that that was a really interesting point to remind everyone, um, you know, and Mike over the years has said, like, I believe his father was an officer of the law, you know, so Mike has said, I'm not anti-cop, but I'm also, you know, FTP when it comes to this, this, and this. And I always look up to Mike and I've told him this, you know, that Mike doesn't fall in line with everything that a party or that a movement expects him to be. You can be an individual. And yeah, I mean, there was a lot of people that were like, really, the NRA? Even LP was like, I don't agree. I agree with my partner run the jewels on a lot of things. This isn't one, but they still work together. And out of it, you know, we didn't cancel Mike over it. And I don't know that the NRA is in a better place because of him making that video. Yeah, you know, uh, Mike in our interview, uh, that we did with him and and several others. He always talks about Noam Chomsky and um, the fact that people try to um, force people into these bilateral like conventions. Like you know, you have to be one way or another way. But the reality is that um, you know we should look at things individually in a nuanced kind of way. And um, you know, I'm more and more like that. I don't you know I don't look at any particular news source because I understand they all have biases. You know, I, I look at both political parties with scrutiny, you know, and yeah. I think that the more we can do that, the more honest we can keep these folks. 100% agree. So from highbrow, important discussions involving Cube and Killer Mike and Puff Daddy, uh, that might sound weirder than Diddy, I don't know, uh, Puff, <laughs> uh, we got one more news item to talk about, and this one is a little bit more salacious, involving- Wait a minute, wait a minute. Before we get to that, I want yeah. to go back to the thing I referenced before, which is still on that political side, right? Okay. Not, not necessarily politics, but very much- um, activists um, for black women, Megan Thee Stallion. Oh, yeah. Megan Thee Stallion, um, you know, wrote a very powerful op-ed in the New York Times um, detailing her incident, um, not naming names about being shot twice, you know, um, over the summer, but really kind of calling people, you know, um, calling people out for um, not protecting black women, you know. Um, so she endured this and it's confirmed that she was shot in the foot yeah. twice, right? In the feet twice. Like, you know, who did it, you know, you know, but she reason, was yeah. for, was shot for sure. Um, and she was disbelieved and then ridiculed and then like torn down, um, you know, um, and she was the victim of it. So um, what was your take um, after reading this? Yeah, I mean, I, um, it started the week and I thought it was really important. Um, you know, I, I think Meg the Stallion <clears throat> is a really, you know, we've seen evolution, um, you know, of, of, you know, hip hop artists that happen to be female and Meg is taking it to a really dope place because she absolutely has the spotlight. Um, but she's bringing a lot of substance with her and she was doing that before she got shot. And, you know, this is just a recurring theme that I tell myself, I think it was James Baldwin that, you know, said that, you know, no, nothing, in society is more overlooked i'm paraphrasing than the black woman and that was in the late 60s early 70s and i i can very clearly see that going on today so to have meg write a really um you know heartfelt information packed new york times op-ed front page of the paper you know at least online um i just thought it was really important and i encourage everyone to read it yeah i mean if you go back a year ago would you have thought that the artist who was, you know, the author of like Hot Girl Summer and then Savage and then WAP with Cardi B would uh, also be playing this role? Like, I mean, it, it goes back to your points about Tupac, right? That, you know, all these people are multidimensional. Yeah. And, um, you know, can talk about like, you know, salacious or superficial stuff, but also can have incredible depth and richness. And so, um, anyone looking to dismiss their opinion based on their artwork should maybe, you know, kind of rethink that. Yeah, I mean, and May can be many things. I mean, she was on SNL, you know, um, earlier this month, you know, called out Daniel Cameron, the uh, district attorney in Kentucky, you know, over Breonna Taylor's, um, you know, non-action. Um, and at the same stage where, you know, she called Daniel Cameron a sellout, she turns around and twerks for the crowd. 
um, you can be both of those things, you know, and, and yeah, I mean, Tupac is what comes to mind. And I know that in last week's episode, I said that I didn't think Meg deserved to be on the BET lyricist of the year. I, I really wanted to give her spot to Royce and I stand by that. But I think maybe earlier than you, I was a fan of Meg. Like I hear a lot of um, Bun B in her delivery. I hear a lot of Juicy J, you know, and the hits are not my favorite. Um, I think Savage is a really cool record. But I mean, when I've listened to her, you know, I watch, encourage everyone, watch the LA Leakers freestyle to the hit em up beat. Meg came on the scene with substance and swagger. And I think we've all been impressed over the last four years to watch Cardi B use some of these moments to engage with candidates or to be political on IG. But Cardi B still can be hella silly. I mean, that's part of the reason that keeps people in the seats. I think Meg, and I don't mean to compare, but as we watch this evolution, Meg um, can be a little bit more forthright and, and nothing says that more than this op-ed. Mm -hmm. So now to the salacious stuff, what would you <laughs> say? <laughs> Yeah, and I'm glad you uh, I'm glad you <laughs> held that back. But as, as we talk about probably one of the most meaningful um, weeks in hip hop since we started this podcast back in March, one more thing I think that is uh, of note. Um, Drake, uh, you know, Ti on his new album um, implies a longstanding rumor, which I have to admit I didn't know about, but uh, Meek Mill lyrics had suggested it that Drake had been urinated on by an associate of Clifford Tip Harris. Right. What yeah. are your reactions, Reggie? Well, so <laughs> so Meek, you know, did uh, tell that story. The first time I heard of it was when Meek released Wanna Know. Okay. And that was in the middle of his beef with Drake, uh, you know, after Drake had hit him, had two-pieced him, you know, following up with like, uh, you know, back to back yeah. and had gone in. Um, Meek's song came like two weeks later or something like that. It was definitely uh, uh, anticlimactic given yeah. kind of the buildup. Um, but that line is the one that I recall people scratching their head and saying, yo, what? And I, I do believe the TI um, kind of tacitly confirmed it back then, you know, like okay. he was asked about it and he just kind of laughed or chuckled or whatever, but didn't deny it, you know? Yeah. Um, and so for him to confirm it now, I wonder why he did it. Like, you know, um, I'm always timing. curious about the timing of these things. And, you know, it's, it's suspect that it comes like right before he's about to drop an album. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, uh, I think a lot of people use Drake's name to like generate heat because he is the biggest artist in music right now, you know? Um, and also like, um, you know, the fact that uh, his friend has passed away now, like, I don't know, like, it, I don't know that I would have, like, invoked this now, you know, yeah. given the timing of both those things playing a factor, you know. Um, yeah, also, you don't know what the context was, you know, they could have been in a bathroom, the dude could have, like, you know, yeah. dribbled on his foot or whatever, like, <laughs> who knows, you know, it's some sort of movie premiere for Takers and, um, you know, I don't know. Like, I, yeah, I, 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 I wash my hands of this, pun intended, you know, like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not something that, uh, that especially, you know, it didn't, it didn't move me at all. I don't even know if Drake will dignify this with a response. And, you know, Drake has worked with a lot of hip hop's elite, which I absolutely think T.I. is, is part of. Um, and, you know, those two have history together of, of collaborating, but I don't know that they've necessarily had a strategic alliance in recent years and I didn't know if this was like a you know um you know a cry for not a cry but like uh hey remember me like I'm gonna get in the media cycle so yeah I agree with everything that you said and uh man I thought between Suge R. Kelly and the end of Cameron's killer season movie that hip-hop and urine were uh <laughs> were done for a while but here we are here we are here we are yeah uh drip drip yeah exactly. so <laughs> Um, yo, some fantastic music came out this week. What a week it was for yeah. hip hop and music, man. Uh, for underground hip hop, I should say. Um, you know, so Black Thought re re uh, released Streams of Conscious um, Consciousness through Volume Three. This mm -hmm. one, um, you know, um, was produced entirely by Sean C. And, yeah. Um, I gotta say, like, no disrespect to Ninth, no disrespect to Salam Remy, two of my favorite uh, producers, two of my favorite people in hip hop. Mm -hmm. 
Yo, man, um, this one I thought suited thought the most, uh, you know, in terms of like just, you know, melding with his style. And I, I thought there were some bangers on this one. This is what I enjoyed it, like, um, you know, right out of the gate. But what, what was your Yeah, I did too. I mean, I agree with you too. And in utmost respect to Ninth and Salam, um, these felt more like songs, you know. Um, they had fully formed choruses and things like that. I think that you know, so much of Thought's career, especially standing on his own away from the roots, but also with has been about just blistering bars. Um, and, and my favorite, uh, you know, I really love the roots evolution around game theory. It started a little bit before, but between game theory and undone, they made really incredible records. And I know there's purists out there that far prefer the stuff in the nineties and early two thousands, but this reminded me of that. Um, you know, there's a music quality here and there's a topical, to the bars like yesterday um you know my song of the day that i texted you you know pretty late at night was nature of the beast and i encourage anyone to listen to that i mean it relates to the pandemic it relates a lot to the powers that be um and it's it's not thought giving you you know 144 bars of death but it's him working with singers and working with collaborators and coming out with something you know that i think will stand the test of time yeah uh, Streams of Thought, Volume 3, Cain and Abel. Um, you know, it's got that song, Good Morning, which we had on the playlist uh, you know, a few weeks ago, uh, with Pusha T and, and, and Killer Mike, which... And Swizz, yeah. And Swizz sounds, sounds like just, I don't know, it sounds like riot music. It makes you want to just break things. And then um, the other feature, you know, which I was not crazy about, uh, was Stakem uh, with Schoolboy Q. Um, it sounded like, you know, because their styles are so different. Q's got that kind of like uh, unorthodox slower flow. And yeah. thought is like aggressive and faster. It sounded like they tried to, to do a beat that would be somewhere in the middle for both of them. And it just yeah. didn't play for, for either one to me. But, you know. I agree with you. Like, you know, I, I thought that well, most of the albums were really, really strong. You know, I mean, I, um, Good Morning, you loved it. You put it on the playlist. Um, I thought it was cool, but it wasn't like you know, um, the stuff that we got on Bandana. Um, believe it or not, my favorite features on this album, there's three songs that are made with um, Portugal, Portugal, the man, which I got to admit, you know, I I hear a lot of music. I listen to a lot. I had no idea. Like, I'm thinking that's just somebody new. I didn't realize that that's the, you know, Rebels since 1966 band, you know, that had, oh, that had hits. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the last Artful Dodger, which I'm hearing, you know, a lot about. So there's three songs and those were my favorite. Um, so this is a case where the high profile features weren't my go-to. And I completely agree with you. I think in theory, Schoolboy Q and Thought sounds interesting. I don't love that song. Um, you know, it takes a while for the music to build. There's some really important things that Dave Chappelle sang. Um, and I have a question I want to ask you about interludes as we talk about some other albums. But I'm, I'm so pleased with this. And, um, you know, it's... Black Thought is just that dude, you know, and three albums in two years of this caliber, you know, give that man all his flowers. Yeah, for sure. Um, and so uh, the other release, and I got a couple questions because it's interesting that these two released on the same day. Yeah. Um, but Benny the Butcher, uh, you know, this dude, his album Burden of Proof, yeah. produced entirely by Hit Boy, I believe. Um you know, you sent me a very, very, I mean, you, you I'm using the superlative dude. You know, <laughs> You're the yearbook to, committee. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> You're usually trying to restrain me from yeah. like, yo, this is the great, you know, uh, but you sent me a text uh, with your song of the day and you said <sighs> album of the year. Yeah. Burden approved by Benny, uh, Benny the Butcher. So, okay, speak on this. Album Yo, man, Royce, 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 don't Royce. kill me, man, because, uh, you know, I've been on here, <laughs> I've been on here for almost 11 months championing Royce, and I still will. Yeah. Um, because Royce continues to outdo himself. Benny, I was tepid on this album in paper. You know, I didn't love the single with Wayne and Sean um, like you did, you know, and, and, and I told you, I came around on it through multiple listens. I am not, you know, um, on the committee of the Hit Boy fan club. I, I give him all his props, but I'd, I'd never looked at him on that level of, you know, A-list name brand producers. This album 
um, is the perfect marriage of beats and rhymes. And Benny, for as prolific as he is and has put out all of these dope projects, you know, well before Tana Talk 3, which I think was a real, you know, level up for him. This is, this is an incredible body of work. And um, for as much as I love Derringer and Beat Butcher and the Griselda in-house producers, this was just such a dope, um, you know, alternative look. And the way that it begins, you know, I live in Philadelphia. My favorite thing about Meek Mill is his intros. You know, I mean, he knows how to make it seem like a, a march to battle. And the title track, Burden of Proof, that was what I texted you. I was just like, man, so I cannot stop playing this album. And it is cemented right now as my album of the year. Yeah, I mean, the title track is unbelievable. Like incredibly strong starts of the album. Where would I go? Uh, you know, featuring Rick Ross, like yeah. you know, uh, is just like that beat phenomenal. You know, um, you know, I loved. I, you know, I think even more so than you, timeless the the Lil Wayne and Big Sean joint too. Um, and but how do you think? How do you feel about that one? Like in the context of the album, it fits really nicely in there. I think that it's one of the weaker beats on the album, honestly. And uh, we didn't talk about it last week, but one of the things that Hitboy has said since that came out, you know, that beat was made with Watch the Throne. Like that was shopped to Jay and Kanye and it sat, oh, really? you know, for the last nine plus years. Um, so yeah, anyway, but I, uh, man, that one, um, it's just, it's, you know, one of the things that I think is so interesting of this album, um, well, first of all, too, thank God I made it. You know, one of you loved um, the way that Benny ended Plugs I Met with. What was it, 5 to 50? Yeah. Or, or, yeah. It, I, I might, I might, it might be 50 to 15, 5, but yeah. 15. Um, this is another case where Benny can rap from the heart. You know, Hip Boy actually revealed in an interview that Benny cried in the studio. And he said the only other time he saw an artist cry, I believe, was Jay. Wow. Um, and, you know, this song is a homage to his mother. It's an homage to, you know, the circumstances that he survived to make his dream in hip hop happen. You know, I don't love the chorus on it. It's a singing chorus, but it's, um, that's another song that I encourage everyone to listen to. This is Benny at the top of his game, truly. Yeah, man, I agree. This dude, he just keeps getting better and better and better. And, um, you know, We've, we've talked about this, we've had it a couple of times this conversation about, I don't know anyone who's had a stronger 12 months than this guy. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, Black Dot though is one of those who would probably be a contender. And so I thought it was interesting and kind of cool that the two of them went head to head. I, don't, I doubt it was by design. And, and they've had their own like collab you know, yeah. together, but these two are definitely, you know, uh, top of the, you know, the hill right now, so. You know, Benny has this line that I thought as we talked about Pac earlier, he says, you know, I'm the only rapper who would have uh, made it in the Tupac era. Mm -hmm. And, you know, <clears throat> certainly, I mean, I never, I never knew Pac, you know, I was 12 years old when he passed away, but a lot of some of my close friends knew Pac pretty well. Um, and, you know, I, I imagine Pac being a fan of Kendrick Lamar and I imagine him, you know, being a fan of J. Cole and a lot of those things. But I, I wholeheartedly love that bar because I think that, you know, from what Pac took to things, um, Benny, Benny's an artist who sounds so 2020, but, but really upholds the tenets of rap from the mid nineties, you know, I mean, and you live that you were, you were older than I was and lived through it differently. I mean, do you agree with that? Yeah, I mean, he just, um, I think all of Griselda does, you know, I think that Conway, you know, lives up to that statement just as much, you know, yeah. um, gun to, um, but Benny is just like, um, his progression, you know, is, it's just incredible. I remember you and I, um, we were going back and forth as to putting Supreme Blind Tell or Tana Talk it's three. A Tana Talk, right? You know, and we opted to go with Supreme Blind Tell. Um, but like I don't I don't I don't see any Griselda project um stepping ahead of the Benny one um this year for yeah. us, you know, so far. Um, you know, so I can't say that he's the only one, but but he's definitely one who could live up to that era. 
Yeah, and and you know I got to give Hit Boy so many props. I I, I mean yeah, he I gotta showed. Go back. I got to go back because last week, two weeks ago, you weren't willing to give him producer of the year. You yeah. said you know uh, we, we haven't even heard one of the projects yet, and yeah. you know you weren't the, the Kings. I was like, pump your brakes, Reggie. Yeah. Where are you now? You know, I think it. I think it really comes down to three and um in 2020 and again and i said this before it's alchemist it's it's royce on his own album and what he did for eminem and it's it's hit boy and you know hit boy these beats stand out so much more than what he gave nas and you can have a whole other conversation of like well what's that about that nas is here for beats but hit boy showed so much versatility um like i said up until this point i never looked at him as a household name producer I always thought he was a star of the B class, not necessarily A class. No, Hit Boy has leveled the F up. And uh, yeah, I, I would say that he's producer of the year. And, and, and shame on me, you know, once again for eating my words. But I'd rather say that now, having heard the album, and this is not a shot at you, um, but then to go off of speculation. That was a shot. <laughs> well, you made shot. fun of my you made fun of my baby movement. You know, so, yeah. I came out blasting you end up blasting. Yeah. I see how you go. Yeah, I see how you, go. Yeah. you know, you said something about interludes that what you want to talk about with, with interludes. So it's dope. I mean, a lot of people are comparing Benny's album, like it has that rock sound. Somebody I saw on Twitter that got a lot of retweets said it was very reasonable doubt era beats. I'm not going that far, which is funny because as we talk about you know, Black Thought and Benny, Sean C, you know, worked on Reasonable Doubt, uh, co-produced Can't Knock the Hustle, um, which is, you know, epic. But uh, this, to me, sounds a little bit more like Volume 3, Rock La Familia era, like that Just Blaze, that Bink. But Hip Boy didn't, he paid homage, but he didn't copy. You know, he doesn't do the Chipmunk Soul thing too much. He uses the same sample as I Get High, you know, the Styles P joint which is also of that era. Um, but he's got pain in the ass on here, I believe, you know, which heads know yeah. from the early J albums. Um, uh, yeah, for sure. And did he have D-Dot too? Because like he, he's got two. He's got, okay, I reloaded. It's yeah. definitely like going back to the reasonable doubt. You know, yeah. it's, it's a clear homage. And then they also had like a mad rapper skit. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, and I'm wondering if it was actually a... Um, it was D-Dot, right? Who was, was a mad rapper? Uh, D-Dot was a mad rapper. And somebody got punched for revealing that back in the day. But I think we're like 20 years safe on that. <laughs> yeah. But my question to you is, I mean, the interlude hey, in hip-hop. Two, two, five, like... <laughs> <laughs> ring, ring, hey, hey. Um, which is perfect segue. I mean, there's so many albums in hip-hop that benefit from interludes. Wu-Tang, Gravediggers, De La Soul, Jay. On both Thought and Benny. I don't love the interludes. I just want the music. And both of these are lean back albums. So it's not, but as we have moved music into the cloud or we can make our own playlist and all of that, do you think there should be a button that takes the interludes off songs or am I tripping? Well, you know, okay. So uh, I agree with you that interludes get very annoying after the first couple of times, even the ones that are like super clever, you know? Yeah. But I like the fact that what they did was they moved them from the front to the back of the song. Right, so uh, it used to be that you had to wait through the interlude and wait, you know, a minute or whatever it might be, and, and then they made them a separate tracks, and that was annoying because you had to skip, double yeah. skip or whatever. But but putting them to, at the back of the tracks, like you know, when the song is over, you just hit, you know, fast forward and get to the next song. So I don't I don't mind it from that as if it advances something, like because you know, Good Kid, Mad City is not the album that it was without the interludes. Yeah, it, even it doggy in, style, it brings the entire story together. You know. Um, or, so I do think that there is a place for them in some, you know, in some instances. Um, and uh, yeah, so so I'm not mad at interludes completely, but I but I do think that placement is, is key. That's cool. Yeah, I don't I don't love the interludes on either of these albums. I mean, I like I like the callback to you know, okay, I'm reloaded. Um, I do wonder now, like, I'm like, man, all of these beats, and I know we are past the point by and large. I know, um, you know, Jay did the all the way up remix with Fat Joe and Remy, but I'm like, when are we going to get Jay and Benny? And these beats, especially with the Hit Boy connection, are screaming for Jay. And, um, man, I, uh, I want to hear that. I really we do I, need a Jay and Benny record for sure, man. For sure. And, and the Rock Nation, too, man, we got to get that. We got to yeah. get that. 
Yeah, I really, really hope so. And I hope it's burden of proof. Like, I, I'm sure they'll come with their own thing. But I just am like, that 2005, you know, that retirement era to, you know, like 2010, when Jay would, would bless a remix like that, man, like, well, it would give, yeah. It's not even that. He likes to drop in on the the dude who is, like, the hottest of the moment. And not just, like, hot, popular, but, like, yeah. spitter, right? Yeah. Like, so Kendrick on Don't Kill My Vibe, the remix. And, yeah. you know, with, with Pusha T with Drug Dealers Anonymous and with Drake on, like, several songs. Like, he, yeah. Dre likes to pop up and, and, like, you know, just remind people, yeah, you know, this isn't LeBron, MJ. I can come back and lace him up anytime I want to. Just to remind y'all, y'all start talking crazy about the goat, who I am, you know what I mean? Right. And so, like, um, and Benny is Benny is creeping up on that status, you know? Yeah, I mean, I think he's there. And I, you know, I said on this podcast that I thought we would get, you know, a Royce-J collaboration this year, especially with what Royce was talking about and Rock Nation using um, Black Savage as an initiative for the NFL season last year. Um Man, I, I want to see that. You know, I really want to see it. And I do believe in the case of Benny, it'll happen sooner than later. Yeah, he did that with Jay Elect too. Um, yeah. Jay. So, okay, album of the year. So you're putting it above Royce, above Shea Noir. And Apollo Brown. Above yeah. J&J, and J, uh, above Logic. Uh, <laughs> that's you. <laughs> that's, see, that's the, I knew I was going to elicit laughter from you on that. Just I just wanted to remind the crowd of just how, like, wrong how much evil intent you have against logic it's crazy nah, man. like so much hate nah man you drink too much mountain <laughs> dew you love logic and and you were like marshall you know the m&m oh uh, wow <laughs> no man i see you coming out a hot topic at the mall you know oh <laughs> uh, um, but album of the year you give it album of the year yeah yeah and 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 there's a lot of people that said benny deserved it last year with the plugs i met there were people all over the AFH, you know, Facebook page and, and on Twitter that really thought Tana Talk 3 was, you know, up there in, in um, 18. This is this is Benny at the top of his game. And I know he's got I mean, like the crazy thing about Benny is we might get another album before year's end, you know, another 30 minutes of music. But um, all right, well, it's my turn to say pump the brakes a little bit. OK, uh, I'm going to wait on album of the year. Uh, it's a dope album, though. I really dig it. Um, you know, I, I like. Uh, I like Nas more than you do. I w- wouldn't say it's album of the year, um, you know. But we'll see. We'll see. Uh, there, there's there's some phenomenal stuff that's dropped just even in the last like uh, two months or so. Oh, huge you know, for me. Uh, Problem, Coffee and Kush, Volume Two. That one is up there for me. Like it is really, really up there. You know. Um, I liked Only for Dolphins more than you did. Uh, yeah, I love D Smoke, and you, I know, are still maybe haven't had a proper chance to sit with it. Yeah, yeah. But there's some great stuff. And, and Living Off Experience, you, I know you love that Locks album too. But That still might be my favorite song. I mean, I, I love, uh, you know, the the Black Thought, again, uh, Shane Noir and Apollo Brown, but the, the Benny and West Side Gun with the Locks on a large pro beat, man, that, uh, like, you know, that is just not left rotation for me. Yeah, well, um, um, uh, no shame plug. Uh, you know, all these songs, most of the music we discuss is, is on our playlist on Spotify, just in, under Ambrosia for Heads. So definitely check that out. And if you like what you hear, subscribe. Um, subscribe to uh, YouTube, our channel, if you like the podcast. But uh, more new music. Uh, what else caught your ear this week? Well, I mean, on a big note, you had Nas and, and Joey Badass coming together um, on a record called Keep It Moving, which is anchored by Static Selector. He, he put the record out and it also has, you know, the guitarist Gary Clark Jr. on it. I'm going to level with you. I, um, you know, Nas definitely commanded attention in midsummer with his album. Um, this one didn't really stick to my ribs, but I also will admit that, you know, since you know, the early days of pro era, you're a far bigger Joey Badass fan than I am. Yeah, you know, I haven't heard the track. I got to go back and listen to it. I'm a huge Joey Badass fan. I love his packet, uh, the light um, that he released this summer, uh, you know, the Roy Ayers joint. Um, uh, you know, yeah. I thought it was some of the best music he's put out in a while. Uh, so I'll go check that out. Um, Gary Clark Jr., I'm a fan of 
I'm a fan of him more philosophically than musically. You know, just I like the fact that, you know, he's a modern black artist playing blues music. Um, you know, um, but um, the music hasn't ever like really kind of like been my favorite so but i'll check it out i'll check that out for sure new serial killers album that's be real exhibit and and demrick um you know they seem to drop every halloween put out something new this one they've got busta rhymes dj quick snoop dogg on it i started playing that um it was cool i went right back to benny and thought like those albums have really been huge for me um pete rock has announced peace instrumentals three coming in december he put out his uh, first single from it called Say It Again. And what's dope about this one is, um, you know, Pete's not sampling. Instead, he's assembled a live band of musicians, including a lot of people that hip hop heads know, like Mono Neon, who was Prince's uh, bassist, I believe, uh, Marcus Machado, um, and uh, what's my man, um, Daru Jones, the drummer, you know, and some other folks, Christian McBride out of Philly. Um, so yeah, look out for that because, you know, we watch Primo, form a live band uh the batter band this is p rocks and man say it again just still sounds like you know it came from the basement you know pete's basement so yeah um, you know um i saw pete you know he, he released return of the sp 1200 mm -hmm. um last year which was one of my favorite albums of the year i i think it was the only instrumental album we've ever put in the entire time we worked together um, on an afh um you know end of the year list um, and I saw him play with that band live. Um, was it Sony Music Hall? No, it wasn't Sony. I saw him, maybe it was Sony Music Hall. Um, um, I saw him play live um, with that band and it was unbelievable. And I talked to him afterwards because uh, in an interview I did with him back with the Don't Smoke Rock uh, days, um, I asked him what his, you know, if he could put up, together his dream band, yeah. you know, Dead or Alive, and he had like, uh, I think he had James Brown, um, Barry White. Uh, uh, who else did he have? Uh, he had somebody from Cool in the Gang or somebody? Maybe, maybe. Yeah, yeah but yeah, he lists that. Um, so it's cool to see him now working with bands and you know, and becoming that Quincy Jones kind of like orchestrator producer instead of like um, you know just chopping samples. So pretty dope. Yeah, and I got to help Pete on his bio with this. And what's dope is some of these tracks are based on beats that Pete has never released because of sample issues, where he could, you know, get these talented musicians to play something and basically do it legit. Um, so it's not just like, you know, some of them, they, they jammed out from scratch, but some of these are based on beats that Pete always wanted to give the world, but wasn't in a position to, so that be on the look for that. Um, you know, Stevie Wonder put out two songs this week <clears throat> and one of them has Busta Rhymes, Rhapsody, uh, Corday, formerly, you know, YBN Corday and Chica, who was the artist that I'm most excited about on this year's, uh, XXL freshman list. And they got a joint called can't put it in the hands of fate, which is, um, you know, both of the songs that Stevie put out are, you know, very topical, very resonant for election season, um, for a lot of what's, you know, going on. I, I, I would, I would say in the black community. Um, but that joint was really cool. I love it. You know, you mentioned Quincy Jones a minute ago. I love it when the icons, um, make good music with some of hip hop's best and brightest. And this one's a generation bridge or two. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. So uh, on that note, what is your song of the week? Damn, I'm going to go with Burden of Proof. I'm going to go the opener um, from Benny's album. Just he said last year was about Brandon. This year was is about expanding. And uh, it's one of my favorite bars of the year. Yeah, I'm going to go with Where Would I Go? Mm. You know, song number two with Rick Ross. Like uh, that one-two punch of those first two songs just... Sets the whole album off, man. Uh, definitely strong, for sure. Definitely, man. Well, what a great week for music. We got more coming up uh, next week. Ty Dolla Sign. We got Busta Rhymes with his first album in over a decade coming up at the end of the month. Um, and I think we got some guests coming up on the show, too. Yeah. Yeah. Looking forward to that, for sure. Likewise, man. Yeah. All right, man. <laughs> Word. <laughs> Yo, you have soon. a good week. All right. All right. Thanks.